Well, good morning. <clears throat> I'll start with a prayer. Father, I do thank you for your holy word, and I thank you that it is a light to our paths and a lamp to our feet, and I thank you so much for that. And I pray that you'll be with us this morning. Your Holy Spirit will fill the words that I say and will bring about the purpose to which you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you want to open your Bibles, we're in chapter 8 and a little bit of chapter 10, and we're starting at verse 31, or we'll be shortly. Which book? Oh, John. <laughs> yeah. John, John chapter 8, and we're, we're verse 31, and then a little bit of John chapter 10. Just so you're not worrying, we're not doing all the bits in between. Um, a while ago, uh, Tony preached on one of his favourite verses of scripture, and I thought to myself, well, next time I get to preach, I'll see if I can preach on mine. And I've got two. Now, they are connected, and one's in John chapter 8, and the other is in John chapter 10, which is its twin. And through chapters 8 to 10 of John's Gospel, there's a continuing challenge of, um, <clears throat> of Jesus about whose authority he's, um, he's, he's using. And then Jesus is also challenging the Pharisees about whose authority they were really under. But in chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus tells them and us that if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And linked to it in chapter 10, verse 10, the other bit I like, is um, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. Oh no, not that bit, no, the second part. But I have come that you might have life, and life in all its fullness. Or as many translations put it, life more abundantly. And it seems to me that we're living in pretty dark days, where there seems to be a cloud of darkness and oppression over our nation. There's insecurity, a division and a deep sense of uncertainty over our future. And we've got our children's security in who they are being challenged. We have our mid-aged generation, generation facing no security in their jobs or in their homes. And we've got our older age generation facing insecurity over care in the late stages of their lives. And these are the three stages of steal, kill and destroy of the enemy. He wants to rob you of your God-given identity and he tries to kill any hope or ambition you may have and he wants to destroy your peace and your future. And I get really angry with the devil over this because it's a total contrast to what Jesus says about you who's come to set us free and to give us life. So... This morning, just want to have a look at some of what Jesus, what we can learn from what Jesus has to say. Because if the scriptures don't speak to us today, then they're nothing more than a history book. So we start by reading chapters, uh, reading John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. So, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. 
So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what issue was Jesus challenging? It would appear that some of the Jews believed in what Jesus was, was, had been teaching, but now they had to put it into practice to make it authentic. And by putting Jesus' teaching into practice, they would come to know the truth that would set them free. Set free from what is revealed in verse 34, where it says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So all those things that tempt us and look so attractive at first are actually designed to hold us captive, to hold us in slavery, because sin is addictive. Now Mike Pilavarchi, who's headed up Soul Survivor for many years, tells a story about inviting some friends around the following evening for some cake and, and coffee. And he's got a lovely chocolate cake in the freezer. And he thinks, I'll take that out for the occasion. So he, and he puts it into the fridge to help it to, to defrost. Well, he comes home late that evening and decides to open the fridge just to see how the cake's getting on. And I'll just try a little bit of the cream to make sure it's not gone off or anything. And then he tries a little bit of the chocolate as well. And then worries that it might not be thawing out quite fast enough in the middle. So he just takes a little slice out of the middle. And it's not long before he's sitting there with stomach ache and a plate with just a couple of crumbs on it. So, but where did the problem, where did the problem start? It wasn't from trying the slice in the middle and it wasn't from trying a bit of the chocolate. And it wasn't from trying a little bit of the cream. The temptation started when he opened the fridge door. And that's what I'm saying. This is just an analogy, but the point is this. The devil never says, open the fridge door and take the whole cake. He's far more subtle than that. He tries to just lure us one step at a time. And it always starts as a thought and there's a battle going on over your mind. And the mind is very precious. Your mind is precious. And just be very careful what you put in it. What are you watching on TV? Or what films are you watching? What books are you reading? What company are you keeping? Is it wholesome? Would you be comfy if Jesus was there with you? Well, Jesus says that if we hold to his teaching, then the truth will set us free. Now, I don't know about you, but I want that freedom. Because Jesus says that everyone who's a slave to sin, that everyone who sins is a slave to sin, and that a slave has no permanent place in the family. This is unrepentant sin that holds us captive. But he also says a son has a place in the family forever. So we become adopted as sons and daughters only through asking for his forgiveness through the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. That's the only way. So then if the son sets you free from the penalty of sin, which that does, then you will be free indeed. Sadly, the Jews Jesus was addressing believed they were God's um, children by right, by birth, because they were sons or descendants of Abraham. And you can get that in the church. I'm a, I'm a son of God, I'm, I'm okay because I've been baptised into the Church of England or, or whatever. But if it hasn't made a difference to your life, it hasn't actually point, hasn't really dropped the penny, hasn't sunk in. A penny hasn't dropped, the, the point hasn't sunk in. By rejecting God's son and wanting to kill him, Jesus goes on in verse 34 to say, actually their father is the devil himself. 
this sin is serious stuff. And, um, but I love that verse in John 10 that highlights a, highlights a contrast in living in God's family without living in a family of darkness where the devil comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I've come to give you life and you might have life in all its fullness. And I know which family I want to work with. So if we look at chapter 10 in, in um, John's Gospel, that is John's Gospel, chapter 10, we'll look at it in its context starting at verse 1. The idea of God being a shepherd to his people goes right back to King David, who was the shepherd king. Verse 1 says, I tell you the truth, a man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Today this would be teachers of other, other religions that claim they know the way to God other than means through, than through Jesus Christ. Or errant teachers in the church itself who, like the Pharisees, teach the ways created by man rather than the ways of God. Then we've got verse 2. The man who enters through the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The gate is Jesus. The true shepherd comes through Jesus. And the watchman opens a gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And just notice that the true shepherd doesn't just lead his flock. There is intimacy here. He knows each one. He knows you by name. You matter. Of all the billions of Christians down through the ages, the creator of the whole universe says he knows you by name. We get to verse 4. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognise the stranger's voice. And again, it's a contrast between the good shepherd and the imposter. One you know you can trust, even when all around you is in chaos, because he's always, brought you, he's always been faithful and has brought you safe thus far. Now in the Middle East, of evening, they'd be she- they, or during the daytime, the sheep would be shepherded out all over the pastures, but they'd come to one place of safety at night because they, the shepherds would get together and it'd be like a corral of thorn bushes or a, a wall or something, an area that would be safe from predators, where the sheep would be corralled together. But as a shepherd in Middle East, they, they lead the sheep, they don't drive them, and they call them by name, and they, rec- they recognise the voice. This is what he's saying. So these sheep all together, he stands outside and calls them until everyone has come out of it that belong to him. It's this intimacy again, what Jesus cares for us so much and looks after us so well. Verse 6, Jesus says, use this figure of speech, but he did not realise what they were telling him. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Jesus is not talking here about the Old Testament prophets, by the way. He's talking about errant errant leaders. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus' reference here to being the only way to heaven. He will come in and go out and find pasture. There's not just freedom and security, there's provision too for all that we need. He's promising that I'll give you pasture. And that psalm, that one we have, Psalm 23, where we sung, The Lord's my shepherd, he leads me by still waters, he takes me to pastures green, he leads me 
In other words, there is one who comes to steal, kill and destroy, and Jesus who's come that you might have life, and life in all its fullness. So how can we make that a reality in our lives? Because we know, we all know we've got those habitual weaknesses. I've got some, I expect you have too. And those negative thoughts. Well, if you're fighting the same old battles and getting to the same old results, getting nowhere, then, then try this. Because everything, every sin starts with a thought. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets it up, sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 to 9, 8 and 9. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things and the God of peace will be with you. This creates an attitude of gratitude to God and it's also that thankfulness to him for all his goodness. And it's Paul's training on how to teach, teaching on us and how to train us in, in thinking. And it's also the key that Jesus gives to unlock our minds to his, his teaching. If someone's wronged you and you feel obliged to talk badly about them, just to warn others, of course, um, try praying for them. It's hard to talk badly about someone when you're praying for them. I know because I've tried it and it works and it's quite liberating. I haven't perfected it yet, but I've been working on it. So, um, we, now we've tried talking a little about the, uh, the patterns of sin and how to be set free from them. So now that we're free, what about really living life and in all its fullness? <clears throat> well, there's many things that can hold us back from becoming the fullness of what God created us to be. Perhaps you never had the affirmation from your earthly father or never received the, um, the love and recognition you needed from your mother. Perhaps you were not listened to, or that what you did was never noticed, or was never quite good enough. Now you might have suffered mental or physical abuse. You may be one of the one in four women, and quite increasingly men, who suffered from sexual abuse. And I believe this is the most damaging, because it violates the most precious gift that God has given to us, that of intimacy. All these things and more can hold us back from enjoying life in all its fullness. I mean, we believe the lies spoken over us, or we feel that, it's, that life in all its fullness is for other people and not for us. I mean, how dare they? These lies are from the devil himself. They're completely the opposite to what Jesus says over us. Why should those people or those words spoken over you still control you? It's time to stand up and just say that enough is enough. No one is going to do it for you. In fact, no one can do it for you. It's a choice that can only come from you. But you won't be alone. The good shepherd says he'll, be, he'll lead you, he'll be with you. So how much do you want this new life? And how do you get it? 
Well, for most, if not all, the solution is the same. And it's not to trivialise what happened to you. It might be a huge mountain you have to climb before you see the view. But firstly, know that you were created by God on purpose and for a purpose. And that purpose is to prosper you and to give you a great future. Now, you might have a mountain, large or small, but it can only be your decision to make that first step. So come on, why not let this be the day? The first steps can be to trust in the Good Shepherd, that he will watch over you and that he will guide you, that he will lead you to greener pastures. Trust that he hasn't and never will forsake you. Now the second stage of the mountain gets a bit steeper and a bit harder and you might need someone alongside you to help you. And if you know somebody who's been through what you've been through and has come out the other side victorious, all the better. And this second stage, and this is it, it means forgiving the person who's hurt you. And if if the abuse is ongoing, then primarily you've got to keep yourself safe, first of all. Believe in what, then believe in what Jesus says over you. And you might even need to get professional help because if that's a situation, it's not God's plan for you nor the person who's treating you. But let's be clear, forgiveness does not let anybody off scot-free. They've got to still be accountable to God for that. Neither does it mean you have to trust them or make yourself vulnerable to them. But it does set you free from the hold that person has over you. Now there's a mystery in the power of forgiveness for another day. But something significant happens spiritually when you learn to forgive. But for now, whether your mountain be small or big, it's a journey to the top that can only begin with your first step. And it will take courage and determination to get to the top. But the amazing thing is that as you reach the summit and you see the wonder of the world in all its fullness, you gradually realise that the, the mountain that you were once under is now under you. And that's life and life in all its fullness. The life that God created you to begin Amen. So Father, I just lift this time to you. And I pray, Father, that if we've touched on something here that you want to deal with this day, Lord, and I believe you do, this will not be words that stop at this point, but this will be a step, a new chapter, a new chapter in people's lives here that we could be set free this almond tree, Lord, that's budding, the stunted growth would be pruned out of it. And it start to bear fruit. It would blossom and bear fruit as you intended it to. And I ask you to minister by your Holy Spirit now. Give us strength, Lord. Give us hope. that we can be set free 
Because when the Son sets us free, when Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. Lord, give us courage and strength to forgive as you forgive us. And then, Lord, lead us into that new life, that life in all its fullness that you have purposed and planned for us. His chains be broken off and we would be set free. Lord, give us a confidence, give us a courage to walk in that freedom that you have prepared for us. Set us free, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.